You're listening to the Career Up Now Socially Distance Close-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Caro Cook. Today, we're joined by Jody Holland. Jody is a senior project manager at Polewood Associates. He has been involved in some of the most interesting projects, and you are likely to be blown away by the details of his journey. Jody, welcome. Jody, welcome to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups interview. Really appreciate you taking the time when we first had our conversation about our first conversation about a week ago. I was just blown away by your depth and breadth of experience as a project manager involved with some of the most interesting projects, in my opinion, throughout my childhood and adult life. I just want to welcome you today to our podcast. I appreciate the invitation. It was great chatting last time. And for me, this was my life. So it was fun along the way. Actually, it is still fun. But yeah, there's a lot of cool things I got my fingers into. When you first started out, did you envision yourself in this position you are right now? Absolutely not. I'll tell you that when I was graduating college, I had five major goals. Now, bear in mind, I was a C student from Brooklyn and was graduating with an engineering degree at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, and I passed. (laughs) We'll put it like that. I managed to get my degree and I passed. But I had five goals. After growing up in New York, I wanted to get a job and live somewhere warm. I wanted to live in a state with no state income tax. I wanted to work on the space program. I wanted to see the country at somebody else's expense. And I ultimately wanted to have a house in California. And how it turned out was I was hired by Honeywell Avionics in Clearwater, Florida. So we got Florida, which is warm and no income tax. Honeywell Avionics was aerospace. I was working the space shuttle main engine controller. So I'm in the space program. I'm a field engineer, which means I'm going to travel. And after two years, I left Honeywell and joined Rockwell at Vandenberg Air Force Base in Santa Maria, California. And by 26, I had doubled my salary and had a home in California and hit all my goals. And I've been coasting ever since. Wow, that's amazing that you planned those out in advance and either by plan or by fate, they all came into play. It was, as they say, the coincidence coordinator was on my side. Now, one of the fascinating parts for me about your career is when I was in first grade, we all gathered in the cafeteria to watch the Challenger launch. And it was, you know, a traumatic piece from my childhood that it wasn't a successful launch. Now, I know that you were the project manager for the Challenger many years before, and would love to hear more about that story and how that played a role in your career path. So at at that point in my career, I was still an electrical engineer working in systems integration. And on the space program, I was working in cargo integration. So with that, I got to be part of the team that When the shuttle would launch, it would have a payload. So it would have a satellite, it would have testing, instrumentation, and the like. When it would land, 
it would go into what we call the or orbiter processing facility, which was essentially a hangar. And we, the engineers, would then descend upon it and take out the equipment from the previous launch and install the new equipment for the next launch. So with that, we would be running cables through in the cargo bay. We would be putting new avionics boxes, which are the electronics that ran the, the cargo. The satellites tested them and got them ready to launch. We would install that in the cockpits and then test that everything worked from cockpit all the way through the cargo bay. So with that, I spent a lot of time in Challenger and in Columbia. And when the disaster happened, I mean, it just takes a piece of your heart because you knew the vehicle intimately. You weren't just watching it on TV. You actually, other than the fact you were wearing gloves, your fingerprints were on it. And it meant a lot when it happened. It hurt a lot. So I've seen so many movies that make being in the space field really exciting and, and kind of romanticize it. What, what was it actually like on the ground? The best way I could explain it is if you've ever gone to Universal Studios and taking the tour of the back lot, you see these beautiful facades. The Vehicle Assembly Building at Kennedy Space Center is a gorgeous, amazing building from the outside. When you step inside, it's nothing but cranes and steel girders and vehicles. Vehicles being the, the shuttle, being the tanks, being the rockets that they're assembling. So it looks magnificent from the outside, but inside is where you really do get down and dirty. And a lot of the space business is, is like that. You're doing amazing things. You're also waiting a lot. Because for us to do our thing, we had to wait for the other guys to finish theirs. And so you could be scheduled to start at two in the afternoon and not get to until seven o'clock at night. And then as you're working through your issues, the other guy is waiting for you as well. So there's a lot of hurry up and wait. There's a lot of care in what you're doing because people's lives are at stake. So you're being extra careful. You may have five people watching a technician connect a cable because you have to know that that is the correct cable in this hand and in this hand that are being connected. You have to know that he's doing it in such a way that he's not gonna damage it. So there's that flavor. And then with the software, there's extra quality control and testing that goes on to ensure that when a command is issued, the right chain of events happens. And we don't have any issues that come out of that. So it's fascinating as the whole package gets put together, but you don't always want to see the sausage made. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of patience and waiting and being incredibly cautious and careful when one is activated into what their role is. There's like a deep connection between the military and the Air Force and NASA. Did that play a role at all in how and the work that you were doing? It did, because I was actually stationed at Vandenberg Air Force Base in California, where we built a space shuttle launch facility specifically for the Air Force so they could launch secret missions in polar orbit in this direction. When you launch at Kennedy, you're going around the equator, essentially. And 
I think it's uh, 56 degrees around the equator, 20, like 26 and 20, or 23 and 23, something like that, around the equator that you can launch in an angle. And you're only covering certain parts of the planet as it's orbiting because it's going this way. When you launch in a polar orbit from Vandenberg, you're actually going, they're launching south. So it's going like this, and the Earth is spinning around underneath it. So they actually cover every square inch of the planet. So for military satellites that want to keep an eye on certain of our neighbors, polar is very important. We built a launch facility and a landing facility and a processing facility for the shuttle. The Enterprise came out for a demonstration. A Discovery came out when it was being delivered to NASA. And I have some really cool photos of that. We're able to walk around it and it was very cool. Unfortunately, when we lost Challenger, that took out the shuttle that was going to be dedicated to the Air Force. So uh, we never had a, a shuttle launch from there. So, but yeah, they were very tied together. The Air Force had a lot of impact on the design of the vehicle. I can get into gory detail on that, but yeah. <laughs> that really is history right there. What resources helped shape and, and propel your career going along the, no pun intended, propel your career? A lot of it is, I look at my career as Tarzan swinging through the jungle. You grab a vine and you go this way. You grab a vine and you go that way. Sometimes the vine breaks and you end up on your butt <laughs> and you got to make do until you find another vine. Sometimes you grab a snake and oops, you picked the wrong one. So your career bounces around based upon your desire, your frustration, the people that you meet, the conditions that you have no control over. I was at Vandenberg having a good time, and I was with Rockwell at the time, who's no longer around, and NASA decided that they wanted Lockheed to take over. So Rockwell said, we want you to go to Los Angeles, and I said, no, I don't want to go there. And I started looking, and there was another Lockheed division up San Francisco Bay Area. And I said, that's where I want to go. And I sent resumes, and I ran into some people that lived up there. And they passed my resume around. And one day, I got home from work, and there was a message on my answering machine, for those that remember answering machines. And it was from a manager at Lockheed who said, let's talk. And I said, if you can get me up there for an interview and get me an offer in two weeks, I'm yours. And he did. So it's timing. Sometimes somebody does knock on your door and sometimes you got to go make noise so that they hear you. Mentioning timing and, and people impacting your lives. So many people pass through as just single passes or have a mentor-mentee relationship. Mm -hmm with an individual. And what ways has mentorship shaped your life? Through the mentor, you learn from their example, sometimes positive, sometimes not. You learn how to listen. That's one of the keys. We're all great at, at talking. We're not necessarily all great at making sense when we speak, but we have to work on the listening part because you're going to get cues from your mentors as to how far you can push and when you need to pull. And I've had some amazing mentors that they showed me where the edge of the envelope was. And they showed me what I needed to do to succeed. And they saw things in me that I didn't see and gave me opportunities that 
I wouldn't have volunteered for, but they ended up being amazing opportunities. And I ultimately, I excelled at them just by inertia. What's one value that's really helped shape your life that you hold dear? Integrity. Absolutely uh, integrity. You have to recognize when the wrong thing is happening and you have to do what you can to, to, to stop it and to fix it. And if you can't, you need to extricate yourself from it because morally, if you don't have your compass set, you're, you're going to end up going down in flames. Mm, wow. What imagery there. So a fun part is you from this engineering project manager place ended up taking over or stepping up as the executive director for the Atlanta Kosher Barbecue Festival. Could you, could you share a little bit about that fun story? Well, when I lived in, in Santa Maria in, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, I learned how to cook Santa Maria barbecue, which is a roast that's cooked on oak firewood. No charcoal. You just do a dry rub on it and you cook it till it's burnt and then another 45 minutes. And it's got this amazing bark on it and it's juicy and tender inside and just tastes phenomenal. And, and the wood flavor just permeates it. So that's how I learned to cook barbecue. And everywhere I've been, that's how I've cooked. When I was at a, uh, actually a poker game at Congregation B'nai Torah here in Atlanta, and I had a conversation with the guy next to me about barbecue, and he said that uh, their brotherhood is going to do a kosher barbecue festival. And I said, I don't know anything about Southern barbecue, but I'm in. And uh, he pointed me to a website with lots of information, and I started experimenting and said, all right, I'm ready for this. And I put a team together and out of 17 teams, my brisket came in third. So, so that wow. was pretty cool. And, and I belong to an organization called the Hebrew Order of David. And we are a men's fraternal organization who get involved in community activities. So under the banner of Hebrew Order of David, I fielded, actually ended up fielding two teams for the first festival and the second festival and we helped with setup we helped with cleanup we helped with recruiting we just got involved we weren't just people that came and cooked and left so i understood what was going on not as deeply as i could have but i understood to a degree and became very friendly with the guys that were running it and i kind of was the fourth man and i was kind of like zeppo and the marx brothers and help behind the scenes and then a little bit in front of the scenes. And the temple went through a renovation project, so they couldn't host it the following year. And then when it was ready for the third one, they realized that it was too big for the temple, too big for the men's club. And the founders asked me if Hebrew Order of David would consider taking it over. And I went, yeah, we'll do it. And we took it over. Definitely has uh, barbecue is, is definitely a, a gathering that all people, but especially men, enjoy uh, gathering yeah. over a good barbecue. And the, the thing that I'm really impressed with is it's not just men. I mean, it's the whole community. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people show up for this every 
year that it happens. Yeah, we drew about 3,500 people the last two or three years. Uh, we've had uh, upwards of 25 teams competing. So it's a, it's a competition with beef brisket, beef ribs, chicken, and chili. For a couple of reasons, we invite the first responders. We give them free entry. We have the police and the fire department. So we've had the police from Dunwoody, Sandy Springs, Cobb County, and the DeKalb Fire Department, the Sandy Springs Fire Department. We want them involved. This is a true community activity. The way we run it, the rabbis light the grill. By the rabbis lighting the grill, the team becomes kosher. The teams are made up of all flavors of people, Jewish and Gentile, Muslim, agnostic. We, we don't care. We want people to be there and participate. And as long as everything is done under rabbinical supervision, there's no dairy, there's no trafe on site at all. It's all done wide open. People are seeing what's happening. And we're just bringing the whole community together. Everybody's competing. It's a level playing field. We provide the uh, Weber kettles. We provide the charcoal. We provide the meat. We provide the condiments. You bring your recipe and your skill, and we go from there. And then we have professional judges that are judging everything. So they're not comparing my brisket to yours. They're comparing everything to the standards. And it's just a ton of fun. I mean, I know I, I have a fun time going with my parents, and I, I don't even live in my Atlanta. They do. <laughs> but I mean, it's just so cool to think about how you've brought together what could be seen as like a really difficult endeavor, which I'm sure it's, there's so many different moving pieces that go with it. But the, the fact that you pull it off so gracefully every year is a major uh, kudos to you and your team. Thank you. I remember you shared with me once a quote, and I'm going to get it wrong. So would love for this to be part of something that you share. So you, you once shared with me a quote regarding if my team succeeds, or what is what's the quote exactly? If For the project to be, or endeavor to be successful, the team has to be successful. My job is to get the obstacles out of their way so they can be successful. So I want to leverage my team's skills for our success. And I can't think of the actual quote at the moment. <laughs> it's okay. I think that it was, I think that it was something like when my team succeeds, it's their success. Yes. Okay. When they yeah, fail, yeah, yeah. it's my failure or something like that. Yeah. So when, when I kick off a project, I'll tell the team, you guys are responsible for the success I'm responsible for the failure because my mm. job is to get the obstacles out of your way to let you be successful. And if the project fails, it's because I didn't get my stuff done. I didn't get the obstacles out of your way. That's, that's so powerful. And it, it leads me to my final question, which is if you were a part of a bicycle, what part of a bicycle would you be and why? If I were part of a bicycle, I'd want to be the headlight. I want, I want to light the path. For success. Well, I want to thank you so much for this, for sharing your wisdom and joining us for socially distanced close-ups and wish you tremendous success in all of your endeavors. Thank you very much, Brad. I, I really had a good time here and uh, looking forward to helping you guys in the future.